It's already been said today, but what a beautiful day in the house of the Lord. Amen? There's just a beautiful spirit here this morning, and do you know why? We're worshiping, and the Holy Spirit is here. Amen to both of those. Amen. As you come in and make your way back to your seat, if you have your Bible with you, I know there's one in front of you in the pew, or if you'd like to follow along in the screen, we're in a series right now called Beating the Odds. Say, Beating the Odds. All right, and today we're going to be in the book of Acts. Uh, you ought to be familiar with that. Over the last couple of summers, we've gone through the book of Acts extensively, and I wanted to revisit a passage this morning because I think it has a lot of pertinent information for us and practical information for us today, amen? So we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 16, beginning in verse 16, if you have your Bibles with you. And the word says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates. And they said, these men are Jews who are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had severely been flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and immediately he and his whole household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we just stop. 
and I just want to return thanks to you. Thank you for such a beautiful day. Thank you for a day that we can honor our veterans. Thank you for a day that we can lift high the name of Jesus, that we can lift high the cross of Christ, Lord. Father, help us to be emptied right now at this moment. I ask, Lord, that you would empty me myself, that you would give me the words that you would have me to speak, and that you would be with the listener, not that they would hear from me, but I pray that they would hear from you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, amen. I mentioned to you that we're in a sermon series now called Beating the Odds, and today we're going to talk about when the hits keep coming. How many of you have been in a difficult season of life and it seemed like one thing happened and then you get through that crisis and then something else happens and then you get through that crisis and then it seems like something else happens and you just continually fight and battle and fight and battle. How many of you this morning are familiar with Murphy's Law? Anybody? It says that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? The most misinterpreted verse in the Bible besides Jeremiah 29, and this verse can hurt when it's used flippantly, comes from the book of Romans that says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Because sometimes we feel like those things don't work together for our good. We can often feel trapped by what we're going through. How many of you have ever felt that way? You've got a prognosis. You got a pink slip in the mail. You got a past due bill notice. You're in debt to your eyeballs. Whatever the case may be, the Bible is filled with stories about people who are having some difficult days. Amen? Noah built an ark while he was being mocked by everyone, but they didn't mock him when the rain came. Moses killed an Egyptian and fled and ran away. David had an affair with Bathsheba, and after killing Uriah, trying to cover it up. Samson, the strong man, being betrayed by the love of his life, having his eyes gouged out and died while defeating his enemies. One of my favorite stories in the Bible that they shared with us at youth convention last week was a guy named Hosea. We call him a minor prophet, but there was nothing minor about it. God called him to marry a prostitute, and guess what her name was? Gomer, a double whammy. Who wants to be married to Gomer? Anyhow. <laughs> Multiple martyrs of the faith. If you have not studied church history before, go and look and see how the disciples died. Every one of them was martyred except for John the Apostle, and John was boiled in oil and exiled on a deserted island in Patmos. The heroes of the Bible weren't heroes because they were perfect. They're heroes because they continually overcame difficult circumstances. And that is good news for us because at some point, our circumstances are going to seem overwhelming. Amen? either as a result of something that we have done. Most of the time, I get into trouble because of the choices I have made. Maybe you're the same way. Oftentimes, although, it is something that is done to us. 
but there is hope. In the story today, the word says, one day on our way to the place of prayer, a slave girl ran to us. She was a psychic, and with her fortune-telling, made a lot of money for the people that were her masters. She started following Paul around, calling everyone's attention to him by yelling out, these men work for the Most High God. They're laying out the road of salvation for you. She did this for a number of days, and you think Paul would be happy to someone calling attention to their ministry, but instead, Paul is like a lot of us, and I'd like to think he just got annoyed. How many of you are annoyed with a sibling, or maybe you're annoyed with someone at work, or maybe you're annoyed with something, maybe even here at church? Paul got annoyed, and he calls her out. More importantly, he calls out the evil spirit. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of her, and it was gone. When the owners saw that her lucrative business was suddenly bankrupt, they went to Paul and Silas. They had them roughed up and drug into the market square. The police arrested them and pulled them into a court with the accusation that they were disturbing the peace. These dangerous Jewish agitators subverting our Roman law and order. By this time, the crowd had turned into an uproar, and they were restless, and they were out for blood. The judges went along with the mob, and they had Paul and Silas stripped down to their clothing, and they had them ordered to be publicly beaten. After being beaten black and blue, they threw them into jail, telling the jailer to put them under a heavy guard and under heavy surveillance so there would be no chance of them to escape. And he did just that. He put them in the innermost cell, no windows, only brick walls, into the maximum security area, and they clamped their legs to the stocks. Now, just this far in the story, of the things that have happened to Paul, which one to you is the worst? Having an annoying slave girl calling after you in public for multiple days? Having business owners ticked off and having you roughed up? Being publicly arrested on a kangaroo court? A public court hearing for a bloodthirsty crowd? Being beaten in public without your clothes on? being thrown into the innermost cell in the jail. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe not like this of Paul and Silas, but where something bad happened even though you were doing the right thing? Maybe even guilt by association. Paul and Silas were having a really, really crummy day. They were victims of their circumstances. But we can learn from them because of what they chose to do while they were on vacation. Just kidding, not while they were on vacation, but while they were in prison. Along about midnight, the Bible says Paul and Silas were at prayer and they were singing hymns to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then without warning, a huge earthquake occurs. The jailhouse teetered and tottered. Every door flew open. All the prisoners were able to become loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw that all the doors swinging loose were on their hinges. And assuming that all the prisoners would escape and that he would be blamed and be responsible for their escape, 
he pulled out his sword and was about to commit suicide. When Paul stopped him and says, stop, don't do that. We're all still here. No one has run away. The jailer got a torch and ran inside, badly shaken. He collapsed on his knees in front of Paul and Silas, and he led them out of the jail, and he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Put your trust in the Master Jesus, and you will be saved. Not just you, but your household. And they went on to spell out in detail how Christ came to this earth, lived and taught how he died on Calvary's cross and rose from the dead, and the entire family was saved because of their testimony. They never went to bed that night. The jailer made them feel at home. He cleaned and dressed their wounds, and then he couldn't wait till the morning and was baptized still in the night, he and his entire family. And there in his home, he had a meal set out before them, and they had a feast. It was a night to remember. He and his entire family had put their trust in the Lord, and everyone in the house, the Bible says, was saved on their witness, on their testimony. Who has been saved because of your witness, because of your testimony? When I feel trapped, I can find freedom by focusing on Jesus. How do I find relief when the hits keep coming? The only way that we can do that is to focus on Christ. Who helps you focus on Jesus when you're chained by your circumstances? Who helps you divert your attention and focus on him and not your circumstances? Who or what does not help you focus on Christ? Does that relationship or do those addictions need to change? No one ever made bad circumstances better by focusing on them. One of the worst things that we as believers can do is focus on our situation and our circumstances and not on our Savior. Amen? We can choose to shift our focus from what's wrong to what's right. Paul and Silas could have played the victim, but instead they worshiped Jesus in the middle of prison after being beaten while they were naked. Did God show up because of the bad circumstances or did God show up because of the worship that Paul and Silas gave? I think that's a yes to both questions. God can use your worship. He will use your obedience. He will prove himself to be bigger than your circumstances every single time. When you are changed to your circumstances, you might be tempted to look to something else other than Christ for belief, for relief, for reprieve. But no drug or food or relationship will ever bring true relief. When we focus on Jesus because he is greater than our circumstances, we are not the only ones that benefit. Worship breaks chains and shows others the hope of the gospel. Friends, I want to remind you of a startling, startling statement. That people are watching you as a believer. People are watching me as a believer. 
your kids, your co-workers, your spouses, your family, and your friends are watching you. What will you do? Will you give in or will you continue to offer worship to Almighty God when the hits keep coming? In today's scripture, Paul and the mission team were in this city of Philippi. They've been guided to this region by a God-given vision. The people were responding to the good news. But then that girl becomes so annoying and they cast out the demon. With this background in mind, I want you to look and think about how God wants to change your life. One of my favorite authors is Mark Twain, and he said the only person who likes change is a wet baby. We generally don't like change, amen? We want things to stay the same. Many times we think of change as a bad thing, and most of the change going on these days does seem bad. Nate referred to something the other week that I had never heard of before, and maybe you've heard this term, but it caught me off guard because it was something new to me. He referred to it as doom scrolling. Has anybody ever heard that term before? He mentioned it from the pulpit, and I had not heard that term before. But I got to thinking about that, and a lot of times I will sit in my chair at home in the recliner, and I will have my phone, and I'll be going through Twitter or whatever it's called now, and I'll be looking at the war in Israel. I'll be looking at the war in Ukraine. I'll be looking at the status and the state of our government and our country, and it becomes overwhelming, and it becomes incredibly depressing. And my wife will say, why don't you put your phone down for a little bit? One of the most startling things that occurs to me every week, and it just happened this morning, is on Sunday morning I get an alert that said how often I was on my screen this week. And as I was riding to church this morning and I saw that my screen time was up 7% last week, and I wonder why my mood is the way that it is at times, how much different would our lives be if we put our phones down and picked our Bibles up more? Many times we think change is a bad thing, and most of the change, again, going on these days is bad. But change can also be good, especially when it's a change made by God. The truth is that all of us need some changes in our lives, and Jesus can give us the changes that we need. Did you know that Jesus wants to change you? And today's scripture shows us how. The first way he wants to change us is to give us salvation. The Philippian jailer was saved. He was saved by grace through faith in the Lord Christ. And if you have never trusted the Lord, he wants to save you the same way. But let's take just a closer look at how the Lord changed his life and saved him. First, Jesus touched his life with a crisis. All of us in this room have been through something before, amen? Some kind of crisis, a health crisis, a financial crisis, a family crisis. And we oftentimes think of those as bad things. But the Bible shows us this morning that even God can use a bad situation to turn it into a good thing for his glory. 
The Bible says that suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. That was because if the prisoners had escaped, their punishment would have fallen on the jailer. This was a real crisis and oftentimes God will use a crisis to get our attention. You may be wondering why something bad has happened, and often it is a mystery, but sometimes God is trying to break through a wall of indifference in our heart. In church, we need to be sensitive to people going through a difficult time because that may open the door for us to tell them about the love of Jesus. In 1912, John Harper of Glasgow, Scotland, was the newly called pastor of D.L. Moody's church in Chicago. He headed to America with his six-year-old daughter, Nina, and her Aunt Jessie. John's wife had died when Nina was born in childbirth. All three were excited to be on the maiden voyage of the greatest ocean liner ever built. Guess what it was called? The Titanic. When the ship hit the iceberg, Nina was saved in lifeboat number 11, sitting on her aunt's lap. Her daddy gave his life jacket away, stayed with the ship, and began to witness to anyone that would listen. Pastor John was one of the 1,522 people who died in the North Atlantic that night. Four years later, a man at a church meeting in Hamilton, Canada, gave his testimony. He said, I am a survivor of the Titanic. And when I was drifting alone that awful night, the tide brought Mr. Harper of Glasgow, Scotland, alone on a piece of the wreck. Near me, he said, sir, are you saved? And the man said, no, I'm not. And he replied, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be. The waves took him away, but strange to say, brought him back a little bit later and still shivering. Pastor John said, are you saved now? And the man replied, no, I cannot honestly say that I am. And John said again, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be. Shortly after that, he went down and there alone in the night with two miles of water underneath me, I believed. In order to save us, sometimes the Lord touches us with a crisis and he can touch us with a believer. And you can be that believer for someone else. We see this truth in verse 28. Where Paul called out to the jailer with a loud voice. He said, do yourself no harm. We are all here. In the jailer's life, it was Paul and Silas. For this young man on the Titanic, it was John Harper. Who has touched your life for the gospel kingdom of Jesus Christ? I encourage you to go home today and to call that person and to thank them. And if they are already gone, pray and thank God on their behalf that they touched you. And make up your mind that you will allow God to use you for someone else, for Jesus' glory. In order to save us, Jesus touches us with a believer, and he also touches us with conviction. We see the jailer's great conviction in verse 29. He called for a torch, ran in, 
fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and then brought them out. And the first thing he says to them is, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You will never be saved until you come under conviction that you need to be saved. And in order to save us, God touches us with conviction. And most of all, God touches us with the cross. Paul and Silas reminds of this truth when they told the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his home. Paul and Silas told them all about Jesus, his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the, from the dead. Then they told them about the Lord's salvation and how we can have a relationship with the Father through the Son. They told those people about turning to Jesus and trusting in him. And in verse 34, everyone in that household was saved by their testimony. Talk about a great change. The next thing that he wants to give you is a sympathetic heart. Jesus wants to give us a heart that cares about other people, especially hurting people. And friends, I don't know if you have noticed but there are bukus of hurting people today. Jesus wants us to give the kind of sympathy that the jailer was shown. But also he wants to give us the kind of sympathy that the jailer shows Paul and Silas. Watch this. The same hour of the night, he calls them in and he cleaned their wounds where they had been beaten. What a change in this man. Just a few hours before, the jailer had no sympathy whatsoever for these prisoners. He was quite content to throw them into the worst part of their jail, locking their feet in painful stocks. Back then, the jailer's only concern was for making sure they didn't get away, and he tried to secure them as much as he could so that that would not happen. But because of his salvation, the Lord changed him. When the jailer believed in Jesus and was saved, God changed his heart, and now he cares for these people. He washes their horrible wounds. God wants to change our lives. He wants to take away our selfishness for ourselves and give us sympathy for other people. I heard a story this week that goes like this. There was a, a young lamb that went on for sale. And auctioneer Roger Wilson told the audience about Katie's condition with leukemia. He hoped his introduction would push the price above the average of $2 a pound for the lamb. And it did buy a lot. The young girl with cancer's lamb sold for $11.50 a pound. But then the owner that bought the lamb gave it back and asked the auctioneer to sell it again. And that started a chain reaction and people bought the lamb over and over again and then would give it back for resale. And they ended up selling Katie's lamb 36 times that day and they raised more than $16,000 to pay for her medical expenses. I don't know if all of those people that day were Christians, but no doubt some of them were. And what a Christian thing to do. It's the kind of thing that God wants us to do more and more of in life. He wants us to have compassion for those that are hurting because that's the way he cares for us. He wants to give us a sympathetic heart. But he also wants to give us a submissive heart. An obedient heart. 
the newly saved jailer was submissive to the Savior. He wanted to be obedient to Jesus. And so he asked Paul and Silas to baptize him. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately the Bible says he and his family were baptized. Friends, we are baptized because of what has already taken place the public witness of salvation that we have already received by grace through faith. The Lord wants us to have a submissive, obedient heart. And then lastly, he wants to give us a serving heart. This newly saved jailer was happy to serve the Lord by serving other people. We saw that in verse 33 where he washed their stripes. And now in verse 34, the Bible says, when he had brought them into his house, he set a feast before them. Not just a meal. This was not peanut butter and jelly. This was a feast. The jailer was happy to serve. He was eager to serve the Lord any way he could. And I cannot thank God enough for how people in our church step up to serve the Lord. As long as we are in this world, there will always be ways for us to serve God Almighty. And Jesus wants us to have a serving heart. He wants us to have a satisfied heart. The saved jailer was satisfied with the Savior. He rejoiced in his salvation. The word rejoiced in Greek was the great word picture of someone jumping for joy. It reminds me of Jackson and Bobby playing out there in the lobby, jumping for joy, renewing their strength, restoring their joy. Friends, I want to tell you, there's a lot of folks I know that battle depression. They battle the feeling of worthlessness even though they have a lot to live for. I want to tell you, you might feel pretty worthless right now. I talk to many of you, especially our teenagers, that feel that way quite often. One of my heroes in the ministry is Chuck Swindoll. And he reminds Christians how valuable we really are. Chuck said that sometimes common items can rise to the level of almost priceless when they are connected with someone powerful or famous. Chuck Swindoll said, would you pay $21,000 for an old plaque encrusted toothbrush? And the man said no. And he said, well, somebody did because it was Napoleon's toothbrush. Adolf Hitler's personal car sold for over $150,000. Winston Churchill's desk, a pipe owned by one of my heroes, C.S. Lewis, sheets of handwritten music written by Beethoven, and many other items sold for many times over their original value. Years ago, the auction company, Sotheby's, auctioned the belongings of Jackie Onassis Kennedy. Her fake pearls, not the real ones, her fake pearls sold for $211,000. JFK's old set of golf clubs that he had when he was a child sold for three quarters of a million dollars. Now, you might say, Bo, what does this have to do with worthlessness and finding worth? I tell you that to tell you this. Exorbitant value 
is given to ordinary things because they belong to someone important. And I would like to remind you this morning that you may be common or you may feel common, but you, my Christian friend, belong to someone who is famous and to someone who is powerful, and that is Jesus the Christ. And because you belong to Jesus the Christ, you are infinitely more valuable than you ever would be without him. You are precious and you are priceless. And that's why Nate says every week that we are to rejoice in the Lord and to praise and worship. I'll show you one more story that reminded me of Jackie and Misty in our wonderful, wonderful children's ministry this morning. Something else to boost our joy. The story of a little girl who came home from children's church and her grandmama asked her how many people had been in class that day. And the little granddaughter replied, there were 15 of us counting Jesus. I want to tell you, friends, this morning with him, you are never alone. Rejoice in the Lord. As our band comes back this morning to the stage, I want to remind you that Jesus wants to change our lives in all kinds of remarkable ways, and it starts with salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. But let me ask you honestly this morning, nobody but me and you, honestly, just for a moment, has this season of life stunk for you? Tell the truth. I had a heart attack two and a half months ago and I thought that things would change in a very big way. And they have. But they've changed mostly in good ways. I want to ask you this morning, are you struggling to get by? Have you turned to other things for self-medication? For relief? To cope? If you have, I want to tell you this morning that there is no shame. That there is no guilt. That Jesus knows. I may not know, but he does. I want to ask you this morning, are you ready to give those up and to focus on Christ? He is the only one that can break those chains. Joe Biden can't do it. Donald Trump can't do it. The American government and whoever occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue cannot do it. Jack Daniels can't do it. The television can't do it. Excess of any kind cannot fix it. Only Jesus Christ can fix what ails us. And I mean us, myself included. Maybe this morning you say, Bo, I'm fine right now. I'm actually in a pretty good season of life. I just got a bonus. Praise God. Maybe you are. Maybe you are fine. But maybe your kids and your grandkids are not. I will tell you this, I came to this church as a minister of the gospel in the Methodist church for the previous 17 years. And I heard that this was a Pentecostal church and that we prayed out to Almighty God. 
But I'll be honest with you, most weeks our altar is pretty bare. I'm not trying to guilt or to shame anyone. But I hear all the time from people in passing conversations that we want revival. Well, what are we doing about that? Do we really want revival or do we want to pout and complain? What do we really want this morning? Do you want to pray for each other? And to pray for our church? Do we really want to pray for this next generation that Michaela and I work with every single week? I tell you right now, I am so glad that social media and telephones were not around when I made some pretty boneheaded and stupid decisions when I was their age. Amen? Now, you may not say that. Maybe you were a perfect kid, but I certainly was not. I know that a lot of these kids are experiencing stuff and are facing things that many of us have never had to deal with. And a lot of them are doing it alone. And they don't have to. The Paul that we talked about this morning goes on to say that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives where? In you. You are not powerless. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit flowing within you. What will you do with it? I encourage you as we close and the band sings this morning to flood this altar. You can call on the Lord right now and be saved as we go to God in prayer. You can come and join and we can get down and dirty and we can get honest and we can get authentic to bury our faces before the Lord in submission. To honestly and earnestly cry out to him in a way that we never have before. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you if you feel convicted and led to come and to pray for our church to pray for our people to pray for our kids to pray for those that are hurting to come and to join me would you do so almighty God Lord I just stop and I just want to thank you for the promise of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ God I just want to thank you for the freedom and the liberty that we have because of our veterans that we celebrate today, that we can come to this place of worship, that we can lift high the name of Jesus Christ without fear of persecution or retribution. God, I thank you that we can come to this place of worship, that we can bow and kneel before you in authentic praise and authentic worship, that we can cry out and call out to you, Lord, save us. For those that are battling addiction, Lord, I pray, God, for you to be a chain breaker. For those that are battling depression and sadness, fear, anxiety, worry, health concerns, financial concerns, job concerns, family concerns, praying for our kids and our grandkids that they would know Jesus, praying for our church, not that we would grow in number, but that we would grow in faithfulness to you that we would lift high the name of Jesus, lift high the cross of Jesus Christ, that we would be reminded that once and for all, we are not alone, and that there is no guilt or shame that the devil can place on us that has any place in this world, because we serve a God that loves us. We serve a risen Savior. Mm. 
in your own prayer language, call out to the Lord today. Be reminded that you are loved and that you have favor that rests upon you in a mighty and in a powerful way because of the cross of Christ. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.